I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. As air travel continues to be disrupted and airports remain empty during the coronavirus pandemic, the airline industry is expected to lose $84 billion in 2020. That's according to the International Air Transport Association. But will there be a recovery for the industry in 2021? And how might air travel change forever? To find out, we're going to talk to Chris Schaber, Loyola University, New Orleans professor, and the author of a new book about airlines, COVID-19 response, recovery, and future. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So your new book is titled Grounded Perpetual Flight and then the pandemic. Uh, so what's the premise of the book and how did you get it finished so quickly? I had been, I had been writing a series of essays on uh, just the, the kind of accelerating pace of air travel over, you know, 2018, 19. Um, and then when, when the pandemic happened, I sort of, you know, I, I kind of paused and I realized, whoa, we're in this whole new moment now. But what if I look back at kind of how we got here? What were the problems that were sort of bubbling up that then spilled over in a, a very unexpected way when COVID hit? So I kind of had a bunch of the material ready to go. And then I, I, I suddenly saw its shape when we had all, you know, when, when, when all, so many airplanes were grounded, which is where the title came from. Well, it's interesting because it sounds a little bit like um, what you're observing about the industry is similar to what I've seen people talk about in hospitality or restaurants where, you know, this is this is this almost extinction level event for some, you know, say restaurants. But it, what it also did was it brought to light problems that were that were ex- existing already. Exactly. And so um, so t- tell me a little bit about um, the, the premise and how you how you sort of dug into this in this book, which I know is not your first book on, on the industry. Yeah, I mean, something I've been looking at and thinking about for a long time was how um, the, the, the kind of awkward coexistence between airplanes and, and air travel and then our digital technologies. As our digital technologies, our personal technologies were getting so much faster and more efficient and effective, they were kind of bumping up against the more clunky routines of air travel. And so this was something that I think really hit a tipping point with COVID because immediately we all went on to Zoom and Google Hangouts and Microsoft Teams or whatever. And the, 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 we did this so quickly. And, and this will, of course, almost entirely um, interrupt business travel, the, the way that this kind of communication virtually is just more cost effective than air travel was. So that's one of the threads that I sort of saw uh, emerging um, throughout the last you know, several months. So, I mean, is it as simple as the um the idea that it's a lot cheaper to get on a, a a virtual meeting with people from all around the country at your company versus everyone getting on a plane and, and meeting in toledo that's that's the most that's the simplest way to put it but i think the more subtle aspect is how we had been we'd be um we were being trained over the years in a way or, or we were getting more and more accustomed to using these technologies so it really wasn't that hard for us even though a lot of us plenty of us miss travel and miss being with people in person but the truth is 
we were able to adjust. And I mean, I saw this teaching online. We were able to adjust remarkably um, quickly and, and pretty painlessly, even though it wasn't without, you know, <laughs> a lot of awkwardness along the way. Well, I laugh because uh, uh, I'm experiencing that at this exact moment. I started this, uh, this podcast interview with you in the front of my house <laughs> because I was going to get away from where the kids were vacuuming in the other part of the house. And then as soon, like we got one question in and the, uh, my neighbor's landscaping crew showed up, got out of the truck and started the, uh, the uh, gas-powered uh, leaf blowers. So, uh, and, that's, and that's funny. It happens to me about every other uh, interview I do where I have to like suddenly relocate. <laughs> yeah. But even there, like we, we, we're actually so much more comfortable now with just like, oh, okay, like the host is moving. So something's going on. I'm just going to like roll with it. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like whereas a few months ago, we'd be like, whoa, what do I do now? You know, the host is on the move. It's like, yeah. cool, cool what to do. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's even like, I mean, I think about it because like, I've interviewed lots of uh, people over the last nine months, you know, different like business leaders and politicians and things in Louisiana. And, I, and, and I've, I've seen to a lot of their like living rooms, you know, or just random spare rooms. And it's the same thing when you watch whatever it is, you're watching the, the late night TV shows, you're, you're, you're seeing such an intimate part of people's like daily lives that you normally wouldn't. Um, yeah. Uh, well, but so. Yeah, sorry. That, that just makes me think, though, you know, on the in Wall Street Journal today, there's an article about uh, a new website called windowswap.com. And they started with, you know, a few dozen. Um, it's, a, it's a couple, I forget where they're based, I, I think somewhere in, in Asia. But they started with a few dozen, um, just sort of like 20 minute long videos from people's windows all around the world. So oh, that people cool. could go travel virtually. Um, and it took off. And now yeah. they've got thousands and thousands of these. And the whole premise is, you know, while we're not traveling, you can just log into this site and experience someone else's window view for 20 minutes. Um, it, cool. it sounds kind of, you know, it, it sounds a little preposterous that people would prefer that. But on the other hand, it is, it is a kind of uh, innovative way to rethink this, this time when we're not traveling as much. Well, that makes me think about, we have a little uh, B&B in my house that we rent out. And uh, early on when, when we lost all the bookings, you know, uh, there was like a, there was a national Airbnb um, like um, uh, video chat with the, the guy that runs the company, and they were they were super excited about this new initiative. It was going to be like uh, they were going to get all of us like random hosts to to start like uh, somehow hosting like virtual B and B experiences or whatever. <laughs> I remember my wife and I both looked at it like, what the heck? I mean, like it's one thing to um, you know to to go you know change the sheets on a spare bedroom, but then to like to like try and come up with some you know digital content, I was like, we that that's one pivot we're not gonna we're not gonna do. <laughs> wow, that's really interesting. But I, I never heard much more about that after that. But that was again early days, and they were everyone was trying to be creative. You know, I think that this window thing sounds better. Um, but but so Chris, so so what's the recovery gonna look like? Is the recovery in quotes? How is the airline industry gonna change forever? According to you know, based on your um, observations. Yeah, I was looking at the TSA travel numbers uh, this morning, and you know we're still hovering at anywhere between 30 and 50 percent on any given day right now of, of air travel in the in the states. Um, I don't think that's going to change for over this next year. I mean, it'll creep up maybe, but we all know that the, the you know another outbreak or another variant of the virus could send that right back down. Right. At moment. I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of hesitancy to, to 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 get back to the point where we were, and you know the problematic thing is that when we talk about a recovery, 
the model, the, the, the normal that we were looking back at was a normal of constant growth for right. the energy industry. And I think what the truth of the matter is, we may have, have realized that point, that threshold where constant growth isn't going to come back. We, we may be looking at, in fact, like what is the appropriate scale of air travel where we can do it sort of safely um, and, and modulate it in a way that we can absorb you know, future crises, basically. Um, I think that's what the re a true recovery is going to look like, but I, we don't really know how we're going to get there yet. Well, is it going to be um, some serious pain layoffs uh, and some of the big guys uh, buying up the little guys? Is that, are we going to see like a bunch of uh, seismic shifts? I think so. I don't know what they're going to look like yet, but I think I, I would definitely um, suspect over the next year or two that we're going to see some seismic shifts in terms of the airlines as we know them today. Um, and again, how, how well that's handled, that's really gonna be up to you know, airlines, FAA, um, and you know, unions thinking about what, what, like, how, that could how gradually that could take place versus you know, catastrophically. Did, was there, I haven't seen the full breakdown yet of the, the, the bill that just finally got signed. Is, is there more? Is there more help for airlines coming in this? I'm, next I'm almost positive there is. I haven't looked either. That that's something I, I need to do this week. But I was kind of waiting until. Is it really going to be you know passed or not? Yeah. But, so yeah, I, I'm almost positive there will be significant um, aid for the airlines. To I mean, because they're obviously just hemorrhaging money right now. I mean, these absolutely, yeah, yeah. But to keep you know to keep employees paid through this time, I think that's part of it. Yeah. All right, so you, you in, in this article you wrote for Slate, you talked about ways to make uh, travel more humane right now, uh, you know, during this, during this crazy time. What, what do you mean, and, and what are some of those ways? Well, in, I was given this prompt by my editor at, at Slate's Future Tense column, and she said, come up with one very concrete way that, you know, the, the incoming administration could kind of work with a specific sector to, um, to make things better. And I, I was thinking about, uh, you know, larger, you know, more systemic problems. But then I was like, wait a minute, what about this issue of change fees? We know that Southwest Airlines has made this a success um, formula for a long time. And we know that a lot of airlines like Delta um, were much more lenient during the pandemic. But I wonder about, um, could this be a permanent change? And would that, could that be an improvement for um, you know, for the for for customers, for consumers going forward. So that's what I focused on in that piece, just to think about. And actually, it was interesting. Um, just last week, Delta announced that that change is going to be permanent. So I do think we'll be seeing more things like that. So, so specifically, just saying that, that to to eliminate change fees is that what that Delta exactly. said they're going to do? Yeah, just make it far more flexible for flyers to book tickets and be able to change them without penalties. To, you know, great. they've got to keep the credit, you know, and roll it forward, basically. That sounds great. Okay, so um, so what about safety? Do you do, do is it safe to travel now? Do you think it is it wise? Will it be safe soon? Uh, like, have, are you booking any flights? <laughs> yeah, I'll start with you last one. I'm not booking any flights. I have no plans for the coming year for flying. Um, I mean, that's not really because I'm I'm anxious myself as much as I just think it's given the state of the industry and the state of the pandemic and the recovery, I think it's just wise not to set plans in, into stone um, for, for the next year. Um, 
I think it's, you know, the, the, here's the irony though, it's probably safer to fly today than it was a year ago today because <laughs> of what we know now about the virus and, and because of, you know, obviously the vaccine rolling out. But um, so it's probably safer to travel now, but only if it's maintained at a very low level. Um, and, and as long as, you know, uh, airlines are really committed to social distancing and space between passengers. And that's going to be a very difficult thing for airlines and airports to maintain if, if air travel starts to increase. Because right now, not, not everybody's doing that, uh, the, the empty seat rule anymore, are they? No, no. I, I, I <clears throat> kind of abandoned that. Others are <clears throat> to stick with it for the, at least the next few months. Um, and, you know, that's, it, it's, a, it's a calculated risk that some airlines are taking and just hoping that, they're not the, that they don't become the airline that had the massive outbreak, you know, on one flight. Yeah, there was that disconcerting story from last week about the, the, the flight that got diverted to New Orleans. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that was just one, one case. But I mean, that could, you know, that could theoretically happen on a lot of flights every day. So I guess in other words, it it's just makes much more sense, though, for the airlines from an economic standpoint to just have fewer flights with more people on them versus trying to maintain some normal schedule with, you know, these tiny, tiny numbers of passengers. I think so, yeah, but that really depends on, uh, you know, support from, you know, government and, and uh, you know, calculated risk again that, um, you know, customers will remain, will remain loyal to them even if they, you know, have to change what the experience feels like for the time being. Okay, so I'm curious about you right now. <laughs> uh, you, you are an English professor at Loyola, but you also have a background in, in working at airports and you have written, what, is it four different books about the subject? How did this happen? Can you tell me the, the, the personal biography stuff? Yeah. yeah, sure. It all started with a random part-time job when I was living in Bozeman, Montana, and I was in graduate school. And I was like, I need to make some more money to pay the rent. And I saw an ad in the paper for United Airlines uh, out at the airport nearby. And I said, well, that sounds interesting. So I just started working the, you know, the late night flight and the early morning flight. And then I do my graduate school and teaching in the day. What, um, what were you doing? You were doing the... Um... I had a great job title. My job title was cross-utilized agent, which okay. meant if you've ever been to a small airport and you see like the same person who does everything, yeah. right? Like they like check you in, they throw your bag in, they're out there de-icing the plane, then they board the plane, then they push back the plane. That was me. So you were everything, okay. Everything, yeah. Which was really fascinating and, you know, fun at, at 23 years old, you know. Um, so I did this for a couple of years from... 2001 to 2003 and at that point it was just kind of a random you know quirky job a hard job too I mean but I, I learned a lot from it it gave me a lot more respect and insight into the industry and then later when I was doing a PhD in American literature and culture at UC Davis I, I somehow stumbled upon the idea to write about how airports and air travel had, had, had appeared in American literature and culture so and that project, that dissertation project became my first book. Um, and then my books have uh, subsequently become more and more, I'd say, journalistic, more and more, uh, um, I don't know, less, less academic and more geared toward wider audiences. I got you. Well, that's neat. So uh, did you grow up out that way or did you go to school out there for school? Yeah, I actually grew up in Michigan, grew up in northern Michigan, but ended up out there for school. Uh, kind of worked my way west and then looped back here to New Orleans 12 okay, years ago. So obviously you're very interested in airports. You've sustained so far at this point in your life, uh, you know, a, a long interest in the subject. Are you interested in flying? Like, do you ever want to like fly a plane? That's what I'm curious. 
Yeah, no, not really. Funnily enough, my brother is a pilot. Um, so, you know, kind of runs in the family, I guess. But, but he's, most, he's just interested in flying. And, and I love just the stuff on the ground, you know, the infrastructure, the processes, the whole social experience. And I guess that's where I come at it from a humanities standpoint, that I'm really thinking about the, the kind of the human drama that, that plays out every day at, at airports. Well, that being the case, you must have been, uh, you must have some thoughts about just sort of the um, unfortunate timing of the debut of our billion dollar new airport terminal uh, four months before the pandemic shut everything down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I should say I had my own, uh, you know, critical takes on that airport. Um, just the timing of it, the cost of it, the, the you know, the, did we really need it as a city? Um, I ended up being really impressed by the rollout of the airport. I mean, I thought it was really brilliantly done and um, a great space. And then, yeah, it's just a tragedy that, you know, within months it was, you know, it's a ghost town from what I understand. Um, it's, you know, on the other hand, it gives them more time to build that flyover you know, to the airport. Um, oh, right, that's true. Um, you know, I think looking back in a few years from now, it, it, it could be a, a, a weird um, gift in disguise because it will give them a chance to, you know, make all those fine adjustments that are a lot harder to make when you've got 100% capacity every day um, of the year. So, you know, I think, yeah, it's a, it, it is a, it's a tragedy from a, a sort of commerce um, standpoint, but um, you know, it, it it could bode well for for the the, the future of the airport. I'm realizing that, so there there was there was help for the airlines. Uh, I, I don't know if if the PPP uh, bills have have provided any help for the airports themselves, or I think I, mean, I guess all the, the vendors. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, but I mean, I'm sure it's not enough. You know what I mean to keep it keep things going. I mean. I mean, I think there's a fraction of the restaurants that are open in the airport right now. And um, they're trying hard to get people back, you know, to get to come back. But again, this goes back to what we were saying earlier. I mean, if if business travel really um, plummets and, and tourism plummets, that's going to affect the airport, even even if the airport makes that a very safe um, space and experience. If, if the travel just doesn't come back, it's going to that's going to cost. Yeah, and I guess that's the big question for for New Orleans in general is when when can there safely be a meeting again of any size, which which then has repercussions for the airport and for the hotel rooms and yeah. for all the restaurants downtown that are waiting for you know for warm bodies. Um, okay, I, I want to ask two more questions. Uh, the first is just can so can you please just again summarize your thoughts on uh, how the pandemic has maybe sped up some some reckonings that the airline industry was going to be facing uh already uh, just if you can review that that thesis for me one more time yeah so, uh, so i think the way i see it there are there are several sort of um there were several pressures on air travel that that were not all related to the, the, the pandemic or public health um there there's climate change and environmental catastrophe and that is even when it seems utterly unrelated to air travel, I think it was putting pressure on, um, especially the younger generation's interest in just flying and traveling as much. And, and that sort of intersected them with the pandemic. And then there's this issue of um, our ability to go virtual, go digital, and the ways that, that we have been being primed for that for many years with our smartphones and um, better and better software and interfaces. These things all kind of, um, coalesced around the pandemic 
to make to make air to, to put to put new threats in front of air travel going forward. I mean, I now see it too as we have a an up and coming generation who has seen air travel able to stop on a dime, and and they recognize it that oh, this is not just something that necessarily will keep going and going and going and going, but something that can be jolted. And so I think that's going to have a kind of collective uh, psychological effect on the up and coming generation where they're just not going to see air travel as, as, as the default, which for many generations, I think for the last several decades, we, we've just seen it. It's like, yeah, that's, if you're going to travel, we really want to travel by, by plane. I think there's going to be an interruption there in the coming years. <laughs> Do you think there's, uh, there's any chance this is going to give a boost to rail travel again in America? I think it's possible. I think it'd be great personally. Um, I mean, there's obviously a lot of, uh, inertia there and a lot of resistance, but I think it's possible that that, that that there could be a big comeback to to rail travel. I mean, we've seen that in a way with car travel, even. Right. It's yeah. funny. I mean, because like for years, you know, you know, with Amtrak always struggling and having to be bailed out. I mean, talking for like my lifetime, and mm -hmm. then uh, you know, here's the situation now where the airline industries are being bailed out, and it does kind of put it all in a different perspective again. And you look at Europe where they've got high speed rail, and every every traveling college kid uses that you know, why not, why not here, you know? Exactly, yeah. Um, He's been trying for years to get that going, and, you know, it, it, this could be its moment. That's interesting thought. Um, so, and then, I, I, and it's funny, though, when you, because you mentioned, the, obviously, climate change, and then all, all the thoughts about trying to um, address that. So, perhaps a, um, a right-sized airline industry could, could be in, in, the, in the world's best interest, is... is it could be, yeah. I mean, that, this was the problem for years where air, air, uh, aircraft manufacturers were promising greener airplanes, more fuel-efficient airplanes, but at the same time, airlines and you know, travel infrastructure were counting on constant growth. So if you have, if you have airplanes that are 50% more fuel-efficient, but you have 200% more airliners in the sky, well, that math doesn't really work out in terms of being green. You know? and so, so yeah, I think that this question of, appropriate scale um, what's the right size for air travel it's a difficult one there's no easy answer here but it's one that now i think we might be forced to have new conversations about that's amazing yeah that's uh, well it sounds like a, a a great book and something definitely worth reading i, I want to close with the question i ask everybody during this whole pandemic when i do these conversations um just about your topic of, of expertise and about the new orleans economy in general and just considering everything that's going on for this past year, uh, what worries you the most and what gives you hope? Um, yeah, I mean, what worries me the most is probably the, um, you know, the lingering economic effects. And I mean, for me personally, thinking about college students and, their, um, and parents and their trust in um, sending, sending their students to, to Loyola, to, to New Orleans in general, to have a formative experience here. Um, that worries me. What gives me the most hope, interestingly, is probably like my children and you know, getting to spend so much time with my family right now. That's given me, I think, a, a kind of, I mean, and just the, the pause in life right now, that's given me a, a renewed sense of just purpose. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's inspiring. And I, I, can, I can definitely relate. Uh, Chris Shaberg, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Rich. I really appreciate it.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.